Church family, it is so good to be able to come to you this morning and open up God's Word to you today. I'm going to ask you to open with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 20. And uh, as you make your way in your Bibles this morning, we are going to continue today in our series called The Teacher, where we are looking at the famous teachings that God gave Moses to relate to his people known as the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that we said we wanted to do in this series each week was we wanted to be able to read these commandments aloud each week so that we can get them in our hearts. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, if you can, would you stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word? And as always, if you are unable to stand, you feel free to reverence the Word of God there in your hearts from your seats. So that being said, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall, do not, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning in Jesus' name, Lord, would you speak today? God, I pray for your strength. God, I pray, Lord, for you to put your words in my mouth, God, and help me, Lord, to honor you, God, in all that is said this morning. Speak to us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, you may be seated. As we've said in recent weeks, the Ten Commandments, as the Scripture refers to them, as the tutor, the Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians, that the Ten Commandments are our tutor that lead us to Christ. They teach us so many things. They teach us about himself, they teach us about our sin, and they ultimately teach us about God's design. And so this morning, we're going to look at the third commandment, which we see there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, when we think about taking the Lord's name in vain, we usually initially think about it in terms of Profanity. And now I'm not downplaying that. Profanity is something that all of us need to, need to uh, be guarded against. It's something that all of us can struggle with, even some of the greatest, uh, godliest men and women. I remember Junior Hill saying one time that somebody made him so angry that he didn't curse, but he wrote it down and signed his name to it. Uh, I remember hearing Brother John Hambright say one time that he got so frustrated one time that he didn't curse, but he spit on the ground and grass has never grown there since. 
But in reality, this morning, we're not talking about uh, profanity when we're talking about not taking the name of the Lord in vain, but rather, we're talking about a lack of acknowledgement of the holiness of God himself. You know, we said each week in this series, we want to attempt to answer two questions. Is first, what does this commandment mean? And then ultimately, what do, does this commandment teach us? And so let's start this morning with our first question, which is, what does the commandment to not take the name of the Lord in vain mean? And so let me give you a few facts today to help us understand this. First, the third commandment should remind us that the name of God is significant. You know, in the Bible, there's an entire theology that surrounds the importance of the names of God. Books have been written about the names of God in Scripture. And throughout biblical history, we see God progressively revealing himself to humanity. And one of the ways that he did that was by revealing to us his name or his names that he has referred to himself as, and that each one of these names can point us to different aspects of his character and who he is. Now, at first glance, we might say, well, that's kind of weird that God has many names. But in all honesty, most of us in this room today have many names, and those names refer to us in different aspects. They, they point us to different aspects of our character and who we are. Let me give you an example. To the state and federal government... I am Philip Zachary Reno. Now let me say this. I am one of those children that my father cursed me by giving me a first name that he does not refer to me as. And so I would say to all of you prospective parents out there, please, for the goodness of all that is great, never do that to your children. Because for every class that they will ever be in, uh, for the history of the world, they will have to stop. And, and when they call roll, they say, Philip Reno. I'll say, hang on, Philip's my dad. I'm Zach. Okay, so... Please don't do that. But that being the case, in the governmental realms, this name, it is my legal name. It describes me as a citizen of the United States, a resident and native of the state of Alabama. This name lets me know that I'm a payer of taxes. I am one who is certified to operate a vehicle and to carry a concealed weapon, which, by the way, your pastor's packing. I'm not really packing today. I'm joking. It is, lets me know that I am the legal guardian of my uh, children and I am the husband to Kimberly. But however, that's not all of who I am. To my children, I am daddy. This is a name that I carry. This describes me as a protector, provider, teacher, father, fixer of all things, certified killer of all bugs in our home. I am daddy. To some of you here today, I am Pastor Zach. Hopefully, this means to you, this describes me as a spiritual leader, an encourager, a shepherd, a coach, and a friend. And to my wife only, sometimes I am honey, I am baby, I am sweetheart. And on those rare occasions when I'm looking really sharp on Sunday morning, I am hot papa as I walk out the door. <laughs> now, these names are terms of affection of my wife's love, and they are also fun ways to gross out our children. So, now, while all of these names refer to the same person, they all refer to me, they communicate different aspects of the totality of who I am. 
So for us to be able to really understand what it means to not take the name of the Lord in vain, let's look briefly at some of the names of God. Now again, there are dozens if you go in to each individual one, but some of the foundational names of God where those other names find their origin. The first name through which God reveals himself in the Bible is as Elohim. Elohim is the first name God uses in the scriptures. We see this in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, or Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. When you see the word God mentioned in the Old Testament, it is usually Elohim in the original language. Now, the meaning of Elohim is a name that describes God in his power and in his providence. This name communicates the majesty of God as the one who created the heavens and the earth and holds all things together. Elohim should bring us to the thought of saying this is the high and exalted God. Now, often in Scripture, we see the name Elohim shortened to describe God in his majesty in a more specific way. Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 16, Hagar, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, refers to God as El-Roi, which means Elohim-Roi, the God who sees. And so again, he's still Elohim, but now he is further characterized and, and, and further illustrated as the God who sees. The second name through which God reveals himself in the Bible is Yahweh or Jehovah. The name Yahweh is the special name that God gave of himself to the children of Israel. It is so holy that the Jews often substitute the name Yahweh for Jehovah out of, ref, out of reverence, but they basically are the same name. Yahweh or Jehovah is commonly used in the scriptures. When you're reading through the Old Testament, you will see the phrase, the Lord. Often, this is the moment where it is Yahweh or Jehovah. It describes God as a relational God who is near to his people. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, just before, as God is calling Moses to send him back to Egypt to go and rescue his people, this is the moment that God gives his people this name. It says in verse 13, then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. You see, this is a special moment here. God is still God. He is still Elohim. By the way, when God progressively reveals himself to us, he never cancels out these previous names. He is still always Elohim. He is still always the high and exalted one true God who created all the heavens and earth. But now he is revealing himself as Yahweh, as Jehovah, as the God who is near, who comes near to his people. And in the similar way how Elohim is sometimes shortened and then added to to give us a, another aspect of who God is, like El-Roi, the God who sees. The same often happens in Scripture with Jehovah. For instance, you'll see Jehovah-Jireh, which means Yahweh, the Lord, is provider. But again, the foundational name is still the same. 
And then finally, in the New Testament, we can't forget that God reveals his name to humanity in the name of Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, we see that God was the one who named his son Jesus. He speaks to Joseph and it says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Hebrew translation of the name Jesus is Jehovah is salvation. Jesus' name communicated his mission, which was to bring salvation to the world. God is Elohim, the one true God, high and majestic, creator of all things. But then he was Yahweh. He revealed himself as the one who came near to his people, his special people, Israel. But then finally, he revealed himself as Jesus, the one who had come to be the savior of the world. You see, church, we need to know and understand the significance of these names of God because the line between the names of God and God himself is very close. Now think about this for a moment. You are your name, but you're not less than your name. There's, there's, there's more about you. I can remember, names are significant. I can remember uh, when our little girl was born, Ella, and she was a preemie, and so they brought her from our arms immediately to uh, the NICU. And so as I finished with Kimberly, once they made it available, I was the first to be able to go into this room. And uh, they had this little incubator with this pink sign over the top of the incubator that said, Baby Girl Reno. She had a name. She was, this was a, she was here. She was with us. And so there's, there's so much beauty in that. But if that name had not been there, she was still there. But that name communicated something about her being there. So again, there's, some, there's a connection between God and his name that is mysterious but is reverence. We should be in reverence of. Theologian Frank Gabeline spoke of the revealing function of God's name in the Bible. This is what he said. He says, in the Bible, the name of God represents his nature, his being, and his very person. So there's something, there's a connection between God and his name. Let me give you a couple more examples. In the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, Moses is on the mountain uh, meeting with the Lord. And he prays this prayer, show me your glory. This is God's response to him. He said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name the Lord. He would go on to say, you cannot see my face but I will proclaim my name before you. See, this passage lets us know that the, the name of God itself reveals to us God in a unique and mysterious way. Think about Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now think about this for a moment. This passage shows us that there is enough distance between God and his name in that you can pray to the Father and then praise his name. But at the same time, they're so connected that when I praise the name of God, I am praising God. And so you say, well, that, that's about as clear as mud, Pastor Zach. It's supposed to be somewhat mysterious. But what we need to know today is that we need to recognize the significance of God's name. In some way, God embodies 
his name. He's, not, he's so much more than his name, but he's not less than his name. Let me give you an example of that. Think about the American flag. Obviously, this is a lower example here. We know that the American flag is not the nation of America. It is not physically the nation of America, but it represents America. And it represents America in such a way that it commands a certain amount of respect. It commands, when you play the national anthem, to be stood. It commands to take your hat off. It commands, in even certain settings, to pledge allegiance to the flag. And I think these are good and right things in the right settings. But it doesn't, it's not America, but it represents America. And so it demands respect. In the same way, God is more than his name. But at the same time, his name represents him in such a way that it demands reverence and adoration and respect. The word shov in the Old Testament basically speaks, is, is the explanation of the term vain. It means emptiness and falsehood. So our first fact this morning lets us know that the name of God is significant. The second fact that we need to look at this morning is that it reminds us, the third commandment reminds us that we should handle God's name seriously. In this third commandment, the Lord not only teaches us about the significance of his name, but also how seriously we should handle the name of God. And it commands it in such a way that it is one of the only uh, commandments. There are one of the few commandments that actually has a built-in discipline, a built-in uh, promise to those who disobey it. Look at verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes the name of the Lord in vain. The major issue here in this text is that God's people must reverence the name of God. And for those who do not reverence the name of God, they are taking it in vain. They, that word vain means emptiness or falsehood. Essentially, taking the Lord's name in vain is when a person assigns to the name of God and speaks the name of God in any way that empties it of its holiness it deserves or assigns to it something that does not attribute to truth. One scholar wrote about the third commandment that is written in such a way that it's broad enough to include the many, many ways that we could take the name of the Lord in vain. But basically, you taking the name of the Lord in vain is when you, you speak it in such a way that in, that in any way his name is diminished of his holiness or that you attribute him to something that is untrue. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. In our day and age, we have all come to realize the importance of our names and how important it is to protect the integrity of our name because in our digital age, identity theft is such a common crime. See, identity theft is when somebody takes your name and the personal information attributed to your name and uses it in a negative way. And the reason why, and I say negative way, because nobody has ever been a victim of identity theft and benefited from it. Nobody stole your information and gave you a bunch of money, okay? That never, if that happens, you're the worst criminal in the world, okay? But identity theft is when somebody takes your name and misrepresents you. I actually had this happen to me once. Several years ago, uh, when I was pastoring in northwest Alabama, uh, our church was broken into the week of Easter. It had been such a busy night on that Wednesday night, I left my billfold on my church office desk. And so of all the days to leave my billfold there, it was that night. 
We got there that morning and we recognized we had been burglarized. They stole a lot of things. And I, I, I recognized that my billfold had been lost. Immediately, we started checking the credit card companies and things. And within just a few hours, thousands of dollars of, of stolen merchandise had been purchased in my name on my personal credit card and even on my church credit card. My church credit card had been taken to a sporting goods store and bought hundreds of dollars worth of things. And the people even impersonated me, one thief referring to the other as Brother Zach. Okay, they were caught within just a few hours. They went to the Winston County Jail. Honestly, everything was restored. All was well. I'd honestly forgotten about it. A few weeks later, it was our week to go do jail ministry at the Winston County Jail. I forgot that they were there. Uh, as we walked into the door, one of the young jailers who knew me poked his head around the side and said, Hey, Brother Zach, we got you Sunday school bandits here. You know, so <laughs> God ended up doing a very redemptive thing in that story. But I can remember, I felt very angry. I felt violated. I felt misrepresented. I felt defiled even, and I felt even more so that they had defiled even that position of being a pastor. Church, if we feel defiled when we as sinners who have, when we as sinners have our names misrepresented, how much more defiled does the one true holy God feel when his name is defiled and misrepresented? And in fact, God will not stand for it. If you were reading in your one-year Bible just this past week, you read Exodus chapter 36, where we were reminded that God is one who will defend his name. He said, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. I actually read one scholar this past week who said that the Ten Commandments in this, this well, the way it's written in this moment, it is not basically intended to be a warning that the people of God would concern themselves with the reputation of God because God will defend his own reputation. But rather it is written in such a way that they may avoid the judgment of the one true God for those who would defile his name. And so... What is, this, what is the third commandment? What do we need to know about it today? We need to know that the name of God is significant. And for those who defile the name of God, there are serious consequences. Now, our second truth this morning is, what does this commandment to not take the name of the Lord in vain teach us today? And again, there's so many truths that we can learn uh, from this commandment. We can't possibly address them all today, but... Basically, I believe that every commandment, every one of these Ten Commandments, teach us as believers today under the New Covenant, they still teach us about God, they teach us about our sin, and they teach us about God's good design for us. And so, let me look at it, let me show you a few of these lessons this morning. First, God's command for us to not take the name of the Lord in vain teaches us about God by showing us the holiness of His name. Now again, there's so much more we could talk about here. We, we could talk about how the, the, the command to not take the name of the Lord in vain reminds us of the personhood of God. God has a name. He is relatable. He is near to us. We could talk about all the different ways that the name of God shows us his character. But this morning, the fact that in these Ten Commandments, God reminds his people to not take the name of the Lord in vain reminds us that God's name has a standard of holiness that he desires that we ascribe to him. You know, the scriptures are filled with references to the holiness of God's name. 
Psalms 30 verse 4 says, Sing praise to the Lord, you godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. You know, we don't talk about holiness that much in our society today. We especially don't refer to holiness as in God's name. People don't think this way anymore. But here it is in the law of God. The term holy means to be set apart or to be sacred. God is a holy God, which means there are none like him, and his name is holy also. God often revealed his holiness through the power and authority that comes from his name. So basically, there were ways that God showed us that he is, that there's no one like him. He is high and exalted. There's ways that God communicated his holiness through the authority that he gave to his name. When we start thinking about the things that God accomplishes through his name. In Proverbs 18.10, the scripture says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. We're reminded that the name of God shows us the holiness of God because only in the name of God can humanity find true safety in this world. In Philippians 4.10, the apostle Paul reminds us that God is holy and that only in his name will be recognized and revealed and revered by all humanity. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He says that only in the name of Jesus will one day all of those who have ever lived will bow and confess Jesus as Lord. His name is holy. And then in the book of Acts, we see that through the name of Jesus, the lame began to walk. Demons were cast out and the power of God was manifested. Friends, the third commandment shows us that God is holy and only in his name can these powerful events and promises be released to the world. When I think about the holiness of God's name, I can't help but begin to think about that song that says, His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus my Lord. Now, I do have to take a time out here when we talk about the powerful events that take place at the name of God, especially the name of Jesus. We can't forget that the name of God is not disconnected from God himself. It can't be wielded at our will apart from God's plan and desire. In the New Testament, when great things happened at the name of Jesus, the use of his name was not an incantation, but rather it was a prayer to God to work in his name. If I pray for someone to be healed in Jesus' name, the power of that healing doesn't come from the name, it comes from Jesus himself. And what we need to remember this morning is that when we pray and ask things in Jesus' name, he is not, that is not divorced from his will. He is not obligated to do anything that takes place in his name that he has not willed. You say, well, Pastor Zach, why do you bring that up? Because there are those who believe that the name of Jesus is just something you stick in your pocket and you pull it out whenever you want and God is obligated to do it. Let me say something to you this morning. You can speak in the name of Jesus for him to give you a Mercedes Benz all you want to, but unless Jesus wills it, you ain't getting it. And if you didn't get it, it's not because you didn't have enough faith. And that's important. That's important. Because as we say goodbye to friends this week, it's not because of lack of faith. As I prayed on Thursday, 
and held the hand of Angela Snow and prayed in the name of Jesus. Lord, would you heal her? Lord, not, the Lord not responding in the way that I desired was not because his name is not powerful. And it's not because of any lack of faith on my part. Ultimately, it's because God's will trumps even the way that we use his name. Let me say this. God did heal her. He just healed her in a way that we didn't see and we didn't see in the moment. This morning, so this is what we need to know about the name of God. It reveals to us his holiness. Secondly, God's command for us to not take the name of the Lord in vain teaches us about sin and that we can mishandle his name. Like we said earlier, to take the name of the Lord in vain is to misuse his name according to God's desire. Let me give you some common ways this morning that I believe that people can mishandle the name of the Lord very quickly. First, some people mishandle the name of God by dismissing it. These are those moments when people use the phrase God or Jesus in just some random conversation. In these situations, these people are often not necessarily intending to use it in a negative way, but rather they're just flippantly using the name of God in an unworthy fashion. But the reality is, is that you may be doing it ignorantly or flippantly, but the name of God is still holy. And so you are unintentionally still taking the name of God in vain. Also, Some people mishandle the name of God through disgracing it. These are not those people who are unintentionally taking the name of the Lord in vain. These are those people who are intentionally and and purposefully cursing God himself, blaspheming against him or ridiculing his truth, and thereby they're taking the name of the Lord in vain. In Psalms 139 verse 20, the psalmist spoke about this. He said, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Friends, an example of this is when Ron Reagan, the atheist son of former President Ronald Reagan and spokesman for the Freedom From Religion Foundation, when he does his commercials and ends his commercials with that statement, I am Ron Reagan, an unabashed atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. He is disgracing the name and the truth of God. And unless he repents, he will one day stand in judgment before a holy God. Also, some people mishandle the name of God by deceptively using. When people are deceptively using the name of God, they're usually doing so by attempting to place God's name on some sort of teaching or action that did not come from God. This happens all throughout the the history of the Bible, and we see it today. There are false teachers and false prophets going on today. Let me say this to you this morning, church. I would say in our secular world, most of the things that are said and done in the name of God, God don't have anything to do with it. You say, well, Pastor Zach, how do you know? By by the Word of God. Right here. You test what people say according to Scriptures. And some people mishandle the name of God By disrespecting it. I believe that we can disrespect the name of God in two ways. I believe we disrespect him by naming him in situations or settings in which he does not belong. But I believe we also disrespect the name of God by not naming him in situations where he does belong. I believe that obviously taking the name of God and putting it in sentences with 
cursing, with profanity, with vile things. I think that is disrespecting the name of God. That is taking his name in vain by naming his name in places where it does not belong. But I also believe that not naming him in situations where he does belong is also taking the name of the Lord in vain. I believe we do this by diminishing or hiding the name of God by intentionally not using terms like Yahweh, Jehovah, or Jesus. You see, in many secular places in our world today, people are okay with God as long as you do not specify the God of the Bible. But if you start specifying the God of the Bible, it can become unpopular. I believe an example of people not naming God in a situation where I believe his name belongs, I believe we see it in a recent song that is called Jaira More Than Enough by Elevation and Maverick City Worship. Now, let me say this first. I believe that for the most part that this song is good, and I don't think it's wrong for Christians to sing it. I don't think that you're sinful if you like it. And, and I don't think that the writers intentionally intended to disrespect God. That being said, I am disturbed by the fact that the song refers to the Old Testament name of God, which is Jehovah Jireh, but shortens the song to refer to God as Jireh or provider alone. Church, the problem with this song being written in this way is not that it says something untrue about God because truly God is the great provider. However, the problem is is that they exclude the name Jehovah, which is the holiest part of his name as given to us in Scripture. Many people can be referred to as providers, but only God is Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh, the provider. Almost every time that God is referred to by one of his actions or attributes, by what he does in Scripture, almost always it is directly mentioned in context his name in conjunction with with his work. And why is that? Because God should never be identified by his action alone, but by first for the fact that he is God. He is our provider, but he is the Lord, our provider. He is the one who sees, but he is Elohim who sees. He is Jesus, our savior, but he is Jesus, our savior. And we need to name him where he belongs. Now, friends, when we go through these situations, when we look at ways we can mishandle the name of God, I believe all of us, if we're honest, can find moments where we've assaulted the name of God. We've dismissed it, just kind of thrown it around, attributed God's name to things where he doesn't belong. As I was praying this last week, I was reminded of maybe one of the first moments where God made me aware of my sinfulness as a child. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't really know anything about the gospel. But I remember a day. I was probably 11, 12 years old. I got in trouble by my parents for something. And I remember being angry, running upstairs to my bedroom, closing the slam of the door. And I remember looking my head towards heaven and cursing the name of God. I remember not knowing anything about God in that moment. But I remember the common grace of God within me. Immediately, I felt the weight that I had stepped out of line, that I had breached a holy thing. And rightfully, I should stand underneath the judgment of God for that. But Jesus, when Jesus hung and bled and died on the cross, he bled and died for all of our sin, 
all of our breaking of the law of God. And in that, even our disrespect of the name of the holy God. Can I get an amen to that this morning? But finally this morning, I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to come. God's command for us to not take the name of the Lord in vain teaches us about his design. Remember we said the Ten Commandments teach us about God's design. Ultimately, it teaches us the path to the good life. This is, this is what he intended. And one of the greatest things that his name, that the Third Commandment teaches us here, is that it teaches us that God created us to know him. The fact that God has given us his name communicates to us that he is Relatable. He intended us in creation to know Him. And I love how progressively God did that. In the beginning, He was Elohim, and He still is. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who holds all things into existence. The God who causes the sun to rise and set in the oceans to come only so far. He is that God. But then he was also revealed himself as Yahweh, as Jehovah, as the God who comes near to his people, the God who sees his people in struggle and turmoil, and he steps in to their situation. He is not a God who set the world in existence and then let it go and say, whatever happens will happen, but he is a God who is near. But God didn't stop there. He didn't stop at just giving his special promise of nearness to the people of Israel. But ultimately... He would come to this earth in the form of Jesus, Jehovah, our Savior, who could be Savior to the whole world. His name, He gave Him a name that meant Jehovah, our Savior. God wants us to know Him. He wants us to walk with Him. But let me let you know this this morning, is that even even, even there, His names do not cease. Because for those of us who know Him, According to Galatians chapter 3, you come into a relationship with God through Jesus. Then he becomes Abba. He becomes Father. This morning, what does the third commandment teach us? It points us to the fact that God has a name. Because he has a name, he wants us to know him. And he wanted us to know him so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Ultimately, to take the penalty of our sin. Even the sins of us not revering the name of God. And for those of us who would receive the grace and mercy of Jesus. He can go from not just being this high and exalted God that you don't know. But he can be a father that knows you. That loves you. That weeps with you. That is near to you. And this morning, he makes that available to you today. He's a father who will walk with you through grief. He's a father that will walk with you through cancer. He's a father that will walk with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He's a father that even in the moment of death, he will not abandon you. This morning, do you know him? If you don't know him, he is waiting for you to call On his name, Jesus, save me. Maybe this morning you need the Lord to save you. Maybe this morning you know him and you've just been handling his name poorly. Maybe you need to repent of that and say, God, help me to do right by that. Maybe this morning you want to join this church or maybe you need just somebody to pray for you. Again, what we've said is we want the conclusion of our services to be a time of worship and ministry. 
So our pastors are going to be up front. Let me tell you something else that we've tried to do in recent days. is We always ask our pastors to come so that we can be available to pray with you. But one of the things that we're noticing is that you know, sometimes ladies especially, they are more comfortable being prayed for by another lady. That doesn't mean that you have to do it that way. But sometimes that they are. And so we've actually asked a few ladies to come and be just prayer partners who would stand up front too. They're not pastors. We want to make that clear. But they're prayer partners. You know what the Bible says too? Hey, we're the priesthood of believers, man, is that we can all pray for one another and encourage one another. And so we're going to have some of our pastors up front and we're just going to have some ladies here too. And if you need somebody to pray for you, just minister to you today about anything going on in your world, you feel free to come in these next few moments. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I ask in Jesus' name, Oh, Lord, would you thank you for your word. God, I pray you'd speak to us this morning. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would move us to worship you. God, I pray that even in these next few moments, that you would let people know, those whose hearts are heavy today, that if they need to be prayed with, prayed over, God, we're not supposed to do life alone. We thank you for the church. And I pray that you would give people courage to respond. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.